You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. We continue our series uh, on tattoos on the heart today, and our scripture lesson is from Romans chapter 8, beginning with the 22nd verse. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We continue our series on Tattoos of the Heart, the memoirs of Father Greg Boyle. And in this section of his book, he talks about the slow work of God. And he tells this story. There's been a shooting These are the calls I cannot bear to get, and this one is at midday. I excuse myself and race to the car. Two gang members have entered enemy turf. One of them pulls out a gun and shoots wildly. Thankfully, no one is hurt, but a bullet does travel to our alternative school and punctures a window and a shard of glass shattered slightly and cuts the face of a mother who was in the school's office. And she's taken to the hospital. I first go to the hospital to make sure she is okay. Then I go back to the neighborhood and I see the two gang members, Johnny and Bear, who have been to Homeboy Industries before. When they see me, they bolt. I circle the neighborhood for quite some time and I find them chilling at Bear's girlfriend's house. They begin to flee again and I say, nope, you're not going anywhere. I summon them off the porch and signal them to join me by the short gate fence that fronts the property. They're still sweating from their great escape. Don't you ever run from me again. I say in a calm tone, though I'm as enraged as any father snatching his four-year-old out of the street as a car approaches. You don't realize how grateful you are that your kid is safe. You're just furious at what his wandering out there could have brought you. It's infuriating and death-defyingly stressful when, consciously or no, the kids you love cooperate in their own demise. 
Johnny and Bear predictably have more remorse about fleeing me than they do about their foray into enemy turf. I have pieced things together enough to know that Johnny was the lone shooter. I turn to him and know exactly how I want this conversation to end. Oh, by the way, Johnny, I thought you might want to know that no one was seriously hurt when you shot just now. He neither protests nor proclaims his innocence. He just continues to listen with some intensity. A woman was standing in the school office when one of your bullets shattered a window. A piece of the glass cut her face and she went to the hospital. She'll be okay. Just thought you might like to know that. I walk away and say nothing more in my leave-taking. Then before I get very far, I come back. Gosh, Johnny, I almost forgot this part. The woman with the cut face? Yeah. That was your mom, son. That was your mom. She'll be okay, though. Just thought you'd like to know. The outsider will think all of this is just a game. But these are comrades in despair and their inability to care for their own lives consistently plays itself out in the abandonment of all reason and surely all hope. Father G talks about this slow, exhausting, seemingly hopeless work of God. And it's true there are no quick fixes when dealing with despair or injustice or hopelessness. Have you ever felt in your own journey that God just wasn't moving fast enough? Maybe you felt that God just wasn't moving at all. I don't blame you. I'm confident that God doesn't blame you either. This weekend, uh, for family movie night, we tend to watch a family together, or we watch a family together, that would be awkward and weird. We as a family together watch a movie <laughs> together. And, uh, this week's movie, <laughs> I can't get that image in. What are the Burchettes doing this weekend? Let's see, let's watch. Uh, this, this weekend we happen to watch Prince of Egypt, which is a DreamWorks film about Moses and the Exodus. It's a wonderful film. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a great, it, the, the animation is beautiful. It's really close uh, on many instances, many occasions with the biblical narrative. Maybe it's too close to the biblical narrative for a family movie night with a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. It's an intense story. As we're watching the movie, it isn't long before Lady Cecilia, my, my seven-year-old, the royalty of the family, Lady Cecilia starts asking questions. Daddy, why did Moses' mom put Moses in a basket and throw him in the river? That seems dangerous. Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor and a father and a theologian, so, you know, I have these answers at the ready, right? So, well, you, you know, he, she was trying to protect Moses from Pharaoh because Pharaoh was afraid of, of, of losing power. There were lots of Hebrews uh, in Egypt at this time and he was afraid of losing power. Daddy, why is he afraid of, of babies? Well, just 
And, I, and then at that point, I did what any good father would do. Would you just watch the movie? Just watch the movie. And then later, uh, Moses gets angry and he, and he throws an Egyptian off of scaffolding and the Egyptian dies. Daddy, why did Moses just kill an Egyptian? Was he afraid of losing power too? Just watch, just watch the movie. Just watch. Just let it ride. So, Daddy, if, if it's okay, is it okay to hurt someone because they might hurt someone? Just watch the movie. And then later, of course, Moses goes up the mountain and sees the burning bush. I just wait for it. Daddy, what's that? It's, it's, it's the burning bush. And, and God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I have a job for you. I want you to go down in Egypt and to let my people go. Well, Daddy, why didn't just God do it himself? Would, would you just watch, I don't, just watch the movie? And then later, of course, we see the ten plagues. Well, and then we get to the, the death of the firstborn Egyptian, the angel of death, and then we see the people flee, and then we see Moses parting the Red Sea and the ancient Israelites going across, the, and then the water closes in on all of the Egyptians and swallows the army. Dad, why did God do that? So, I, well, honey, um, God doesn't want us to love power. God doesn't want us to love big buildings and God doesn't want us to enslave anyone and God doesn't want us to fall in love with, with money and all of the riches that, that Egypt had. God loves people. Well then, Dad, why did God kill so many Egyptians? Daddy, I don't, I don't think I like this story very much. I wish I had all the answers uh, right then and right there. And I'm supposed to, I'm, not only am I a dad, I'm a preacher and a theologian. And Now, of course, looking at the story through Christian eyes, as we are called after the resurrection to look at all scripture that points to Christ in some way, shape, or form, we recognize that, that Christ is God's firstborn of all creation and that through God's sacrifice in Jesus Christ, we have been freed to be God's own People, God doesn't want us to fall in love with money or power or riches or large buildings. And if we continue reading the story, this slow work of God, we eventually hear about the Christ child and the Holy Family being uh, political refuge, uh, refugees and going into Egypt because Herod too wanted to kill the children who were born because he was afraid of power. We see this symbolism and this parallel happening and, and the Holy Family goes into Egypt and instead of Egypt also wanting to claim Jesus' life, Egypt is redeemed. Egypt offers protection and safety to the Holy Family. It is a long, slow, arcing story of Egypt's eventual redemption. It is indeed slow work to see the fruit of justice and to see redemption of even a place like Egypt. It is indeed slow work. That, that may be why the ancient Israelites, after they left Egypt, spent 40 years in the wilderness. Maybe that's how long it takes to understand this story. How long, O oh Lord? 
we hear over and over in the Psalms. How long? How long indeed? In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about all of creation groaning with labor pains. And though I've not felt labor pains myself, the imagery is honest, I think, about this slow work of God, giving birth to something new, giving birth to a new generation, this groaning that we feel day in and day out. I've heard that this hope, this godly hope, is like planting a tree that you know you will never enjoy the shade of. Planting a tree that will grow for another generation. You do the difficult work of tilling the soil and caring for the tree, knowing that someone else will enjoy its shade. What might God's world become if we were all committed to simply leaving things better than we found them? Leaving things better for someone else. Recognizing that God's story is even longer than our own lifetime. By grace through faith, we have been welcomed into God's story, a story that necessitates planting today so that growth may happen tomorrow. Love is patient, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the first word to describe love. But sadly, rarely, we are. God's work is slow because it is incarnational. It is in the flesh. Father G talks about entering into the gang members' lives. He doesn't invite them just to come to homeboy industries. He enters into their world. He writes, sometimes you need to walk in the gang member's door in order to introduce him to a brand new door. You grab what he finds valuable and you bend it around something else, a new form of nobility. You try to locate his moral code and conform it to a new standard that no longer includes violence and hatred toward one's enemy. If something that gang members know quite well, it's words like loyalty, defending, but you have to take this moral code and you have to wrap it around the goodness of God. Earlier this week, uh, I had the good fortune to lead a breakout session of Church of the Resurrection's Leadership Institute, and we were talking about bringing people together and how that is slow work. One of the ways we do that, we remember the second chapter of the book of Acts, the birthday of the church, where everyone was hearing their native language, not, not their native language only, but this mother tongue, this intimate language. It was not one spiritual language to which everyone conformed. They were hearing the kind of talk that they remember their mother saying in their own living rooms. It was that kind of intimate mother tongue. And they were amazed and astounded that these, these disciples who did not know their language were speaking not just their language, this intimate mother tongue. In order to bring people together, we have to know, we have to be bilingual. We have to know people's mother Tongue. Specifically, at this gathering earlier this week, I was talking about different generations and how each generation has their own kind of mother tongue. Like, for people in my age and stage, all you have to say is minivan, and we know exactly what you mean. It means 
constantly being in the car, bringing people to ballet practice and t-ball practice and, and how the minivan is a rolling closet. If you need roller skates, if you need a winter's coat, if you need shot records, like it's all, it's all there in the minivan. You just have to say minivan and, and I got you, you know. To my kids, all you have to say is TikTok, and then it's there. All these images start floating, and of like, you know, doing the woe and doing the thing and renegade, like all these things. Like they, you just have to say TikTok, and they know all the all the stuff. You know, for my parents, words like empty nest, words like role reversal, because now so many of people my parents' age are now caring for their parents. That role reversal of the child now being the parent. You just say role reversal and you know, you know what that means. It takes time, though, to learn that native language. You have to go into someone else's living room in order to show them the work of God. When we look at the work of Jesus, when I say God's work is slow work because it's incarnational, when we look at the life of Jesus, it is slow work. Have you ever wondered why? Jesus started ministry beginning at the year of 30 years old? Because sometimes it takes that long to be with people, to know their language, to understand the culture, to be in their living room before you start to reveal the kingdom of God. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus just appears on the, on the scene, just kind of out of nowhere with no backstory. And then Matthew, we hear a little bit more about Jesus' childhood. And Luke, we hear even more about Jesus' childhood. And then finally, in the Gospel of John, it's the big reveal that the Word of God was there in the beginning. People ask, why, since the beginning of time, did Jesus wait until 4 BC to be born? God's work is slow. It takes time for justice to roll down like waters. Father Greg Boyle ends this section by telling a story of two brothers. Um, one, bo both um, had addiction issues, chem chemical dependence. One of them uh, checked into a rehab facility and the other, sadly, died by suicide. And he talks about the two different ways these brothers looked at the world. What Father G began to realize is that when he assumed that when a homeboy entered into enemy territory, it was out of anger or vengeance. And then like a flood through these two brothers, he realized that they weren't going into enemy territory to shoot, but to be shot because of their own sense of utter hopelessness. When Father G went to the rehab facility to tell the young man about his brother's death, the young man said that he had had a dream about Father G the night before. He writes this. In this dream, Pedro and I are in a large, empty room, just the two of us. There are no lights, no illumined exit signs, no light creeping in from under the doors. There are no, window, there are no windows, no light at all. But he seems to know that I am with him. A sense, really, though we do not speak. Suddenly, in this dark silence, I retrieve a flashlight out of my pocket and push it on. I find the light switch in the room, on the wall, and I shine this narrow beam of light on the switch. 
I don't speak at all. I just hold the beam steady, unwavering. Pedro says that even though no words were exchanged, he knows he's the only one who can turn the light on. He thanks me for having to happen to have a flashlight. He makes his way to the switch following the beam which, uh, with, I suppose, some trepidation. He arrives at the switch, takes a deep breath, and flips it on. And the room is flooded with light. He's now sobbing at this point in the telling of the dream. And with a voice of astonishing discovery, he says, and the light is better than the darkness. As if he did not previously know this was the case. He's weeping, unable to continue. Then he says, I guess, I guess my brother just never found the light switch. Possessing flashlights and occasionally knowing where to aim them has been enough for us. Fortunately, none of us can save anybody, but we all find ourselves in this dark, windowless room, fumbling for grace and flashlights. You aim the light this time. I'll do it the next time. And he ends by saying, this, this is the slow work of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we are quite impatient, wanting to know all of the answers, and impatience with a good cause, wanting to solve the problems of the world or the problems in our own home or maybe the problems as we look in the mirror. Father, cultivate and craft our souls by the power of your spirit to accept your slow work of grace. Give us the courage to share our light, even if it is a single beam and only pointing toward a light switch. Help us walk into each other's life to know each other's language, to know each other's soul and heart and mind, not so that we might know a clever way of passing judgment, but so that we might truly begin to love one another in the way that we need to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.